and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everyone to ESSR Central, the show that cuts right through the Larry Steve and gets right into the bacon. God's sake. <laughs> oh, what way to kick off. My name's Ross McLeod, as usual, I'm your host. I'm joined today by a man mourning a pig he didn't even know, David Hockney. Oh, honestly, too soon, too soon with the bacon jokes. Like, I mean, the, the poor, the poor guys don't even cold yet, and you're already making jokes like that. Like, that's just there's a time and a place for dark humor. This isn't one of them. He's not even called me yet. Um, for God's sake! Sake for those of you that don't know, Alexa Bliss bought a pig that she thought was a micro pig. It turned out to be a real pig. The pig is now dead. Pigs should not be raised in non-farm-like environments. A pig died this week. It's upsetting, but, well, there's bacon in the world. Anyway, if you want to hear more analysis and shows just like this, Suplex retweet on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites is where to go. And, of course, at Suplex retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Eat Sleep Suplex retweet community on Facebook, and yeah, that's really all we've got. So we'll, we'll get into actual news and not dead pigs. Fine. <laughs> um, so we'll start with, obviously we record this on a Wednesday, this past Friday night Smackdown, Alistair Black uh, made his return. Uh, he, had a, he had a strangely long like vignette. I thought, David, he... Um, mm. The vignette segment at the start of the night went about five, six minutes. Usually these vignettes are like short, snappy, hinting on when he returns, but this one went into about how father taught me pain, father taught me they must feel pain. And it, it, it did drag on a bit. Yeah, it's um it is kind of weird because usually when you're hyping up the return of somebody, it's usually just short and sharp. But this promo almost made it seem like you know he's never been gone. He's just sort of take. He's just sort of highlighting this new, this new sort of persona that he's taken on. But one thing I will say for about his booking is that they've actually been consistent with it. Because if you noticed, his right eye had a, a contact lens in it. I think it's to show the damage that was done from the past year when there was that whole eye for an eye shtick between Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins. Like, I mean, if that isn't you know long-term storytelling, I think that's. A little snippet that sort of says, yeah, he's not forgotten what happened to him in the past, but he's been away for so long, you, you almost actually forgot that he was, you know, involved in all that in some capacity. I think it's just some weird goth shit. I mean, Jack Jester does it too. I don't, I don't know. Um, no, I, I just, I just thought I mentioned on Twitter and I thought, you know what, that, that, if that's meant to be a reference back to the, the eye gouging, that's, that's very clever. Yeah, it is very clever. Um, but, when you see the vignette, you think, all right, cool, it's going to be a few weeks. You know, we are in post-WrestleMania vignette hype mode. But he appears through the fog uh, during the Intercontinental title main event on SmackDown, Fatal 4-Way with Apollo Crews defending against Sami Zayn, Biggie, and uh, Kevin Owens. Before we go into Black's attack on Biggie and where that could lead, I just want to get your thoughts on the Intercontinental title picture at the minute. I, mm. I spoke to... Ryan about this and I said it's been consistently strong throughout the past year. There's always three or four people involved, even if they're not directly fighting at the pay-per-view for the title. 
Um, and it's it's a really good way to sort of keep everyone else happy and keep everyone else relevant mm. under the world title scene because the past year we've seen, you know, the likes of Roman Reigns, Goldberg, Braun Strowman, The Fiend have the title. Those guys weren't going to lose the title at any moment, but with so many people in the IC title picture, it feels like anyone could lose the title at any given moment. Yeah, the excitement is there and it goes to show that this is why this championship is the workhorse title and it's the one that everybody thrives to, you know, put in the best performance for and will, you know, bend over backwards just to, you know, sort of just hold the championship because it has all that prestige behind it. And it makes me think of times, you know, when the guys like Seth Rollins, The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, those guys were all feuding for the title at one point and it even delivered, you know, a an excellent series of matches like at WrestleMania 34 and then following and then the post sort of pay-per-view series following that especially you know it main evented extreme rules one year as well but that's because you know Brock Lesnar was universal champion and you know Brock being Brock he doesn't show up all the time but this is sort of this sort of takes me back to times like that when you know this was the the title that everybody wanted to hold and you know with a new sort of pool of challengers as well, particularly with this uprising of Apollo Crews, you know, is this reinvention. I, I keep, I know I keep harping on about it, but this is the best thing that could have happened to him since he won the US title last year. And with guys like Big E, you know, who's in line for his big singles push, you know, this is a good way to sort of get him going. He's got a high profile feud. I mean, you've got two reliable competitors in the form of the former champions, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, who funnily enough, hasn't actually held a singles championship since 2017. Like, how mad is that? And it was, funnily enough, the Intercontinental Championship. The only thing, the only criticism I have of the Intercontinental Championship at this stage is the title itself. I mean, it's, I think, as Ryan said once before on the Best and Worst title shows, it looks like somebody drew it on their phone with font candy. And yeah, I'm just not a fan of the title itself. But putting that aside, the match quality and the storytelling is all there. And the competitors involved are just given 110% every time. I think it looks more like a world title than WWE's world titles. That's the thing. I actually don't mind the design. I just feel like it's been, like it looks sort of squashed. It looks like it should be bigger and more. But if they, like, I think yeah, if they if they sort of expanded yeah. it out a bit, you know, to make it look like, you know, sort of it was more horizontal than a vertical sort of curve, that would um, that would look better and maybe a, a wee bit more color would make it stand out as well. No, I think the black and gold is fine. I think it just it's, it does look very squashed in. It looks more like a world title than a mm. than the world titles WWE has. Yeah. But I still, yeah, you know, the, I still prefer the previous two designs to this one. Well, when the only criticism what you have of the title is the design, I think that's not too bad. You know what I mean? The title yeah. picture is really good. We've saw over the past year. You know, we had the, the AJ Styles thing where he was involved with Brian and Sami Zayn was on the outskirts. You know, he was. Uh, isolating cause of COVID and then you had uh, Drew Gulak in amongst there and you had Matt Riddle making mm -hmm. his debut on SmackDown he was in amongst it and then you had uh, the whole the three way with Jeff and AJ and Sami Zayn and then really Sami's, ladder match yeah and then obviously Sami Zayn Big E Apollo and Kevin Owens at the minute the past year it has been a, a really prestigious title you know what I mean and mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it is an interesting scene, and I think this is a good way to get Big E out of that scene because you mentioned his main event push. He lost the title at WrestleMania. 
he lost under you know dubious circumstances. So it's not as if he took a clean loss. He lost in a Nigerian drum fight that wasn't really a night had nothing to do with drums at all. Uh, and then we've so we've got Alistair Black returning. My only th- thing there is what happens with this? Do we do we go forward with the Alistair Black storyline? You know, he's been very stop start, you know, he had the knock on my door and then again it was knock on my door and then he mm-hmm. had the the bank followed with Buddy Murphy, then, you know, he he sort of just disappeared. <laughs> I think he needs to sort of build his momentum back, and I think he, he can get that. Maybe if he faces Big E at Hell in a Cell, which is happening in a few weeks, I think that could be, you know, the starting point. But then somewhere down the line, because the, the next pay-per-view after that will probably be Money in the Bank. I reckon yeah. they'll both find a way into the Money in the Bank ladder match in some capacity. So it's it sort of gives... Alistair Black a little bit of momentum that's needed. Big E, I think he can afford, you know, a big loss before potentially maybe even, you know, winning the Money in the Bank contract. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because you, you know, do, do you do you go with Alistair Black again, who has been very stop-start through WWE's creative process and through injury, you know? Or is it, do you stick with Big E, who has been, you know, tremendously well booked ever since uh, Kofi's injury and then the New Day split? Um, so, yeah, he's, he's been very well booked. It is, it's a weird one, but um, an interesting view. It's certainly not a feud I would have thought of, Big E versus Alistair Black, but, yeah, something I'm really, really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And actually just on Smackdown as well we had uh, the Seth and Cesaro uh, angle continue Mm. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen Extreme Rules, Seth Rollins came out at the end of the match, attacked Cesaro backlash uh, sorry I'm like (laughs) (laughs) Um, he he stomps Cesaro about four times He, he injures the arm he then does it again on Smackdown uh, when Cesaro's trying to get a rematch off of Roman Reigns. Um, and then Seth, this sort of trance thing that he did last year where he was the calm, the cool, calm messiah mm-hmm. and he would just lose his shtick. He's backstage, he's getting interviewed by new interviewer number six, and we'll get into <laughs> that in a minute, by the way, because um, a big release this week in WWE. Um, he goes, I don't know what happened, I blacked out, I blacked out. And as soon as he sees Cesaro again going by on the stretcher, it's as if he snaps mm. and starts screaming, why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? Yeah, um, it's, like, it's like he just looks at Cesaro and he just like goes into a fit of rage. But I mean, it's it's, it's, a, it's a weird one for sure. And it sort of, again, it ties back into the what he did last year. You know, he was this cool, calm messiah. And then whenever he laid eyes on Rey Mysterio, we just go into this mental like frenzy. Yeah, it was it was it was weird, and you're saying you think they'll go again inside Hell in a Cell? Yeah, I, I can see this going towards maybe a Hell in a Cell match because it's one of the most high-profile feuds on SmackDown that doesn't revolve around a championship. Uh, I can see Roman maybe defending the title inside Hell in a Cell along with you know Bobby Lashley, whoever he faces. But if this was meant to be a grudge feud inside Hell in a Cell, this would be the ideal candidate. And I still can't get over like how many 
mental looking jackets does Rollins keep? I mean, he's because there was the one at Backlash where it looked like he just didn't, he just did a, he just painted a full room for his for his baby girl or something, and then this one he comes out thinking it's uh, it's uh, Dia Dias des Muertos. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh... I would draw your attention to James R. Kennedy for the question of how many mental jackets can someone have. <laughs> um, I think his collection is uh, very, very impressive. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how many mental jackets he does come out with. But um, another developing storyline on SmackDown is the return of Jimmy So He's refusing to sort of take the knee to Roman Reigns, he's refusing to acknowledge him as the tribal chief. He wants Jay back in his corner to be a tag team again. Jimmy um, goes into Sonya Deville's office. He says, we want the Street Profits. Sonya looks a bit confused and goes, did you ask Roman Reigns permission for this? <laughs> he looks sort of affronted, like, I don't need his permission, blah, blah, blah. She says, I mean, I'll take it under advisement and book the match. But when Jay's told about it, he says, I owe Roman this much, I owe him that I tell him that the match is happening. And Roman sort of guilts Jay, he goes, who's us? When he mentions you, so it was us is me and you, it's what we built, you know, and he, he poor Jay is stuck in the middle of all this, you know what I mean? Jimmy wants mm. his brother back, Roman just wants someone to watch his back. It's an interesting storyline, but I, I really want the Usos back because the Usos versus Street Profits, that's a great match. Yeah, and this will be the first time the Usos have competed as a team in like over a year because remember after Mania 36, that's when Jimmy had his knee injury and he was out for so so off, like such a long time. And the first time we saw him back was the J Roman Hell in a Cell match. It was, it's been a long time, you know, since he's, since they've teamed together. And can you imagine those two? You know, reclaiming the tag team titles if they go up against the Mysterios. You know, the, the Street Profits. I think it's going to be a bit of a, a sort of a, a comeback match for them. But the most interesting aspect of this is the storyline and the interaction with Roman, because I think somewhere down the line, I think Jimmy Uso might challenge Roman, and then Jay's sort of stuck in the middle between the two. Like, does he pledge allegiance to his cousin or his twin brother? It's a proper, it's a proper sort of family feud at its at its peak. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't mind actually if, as you said, Jimmy challenges Roman and maybe maybe goes up against him because if the universal title because shows like Money in the Bank sometimes when there's between six to eight people in these ladder matches, sometimes you get someone in there who's really like you're like he's really not going to win it. Mm -hmm. If if Jimmy is going up against Roman, who we know isn't going to lose the title anytime soon, then I suppose it does leave Money in the Bank open for more, not more experience, but like more realistic winners in there. You know, you're talking mm -hmm. about Alistair Black and Big E being in there. You know, they're two people right now with the booking. You're like, yeah, actually, I can see him winning that. Mm. I think it, as long as they keep people guessing about, you know, where the directions go, and that's what makes SmackDown like. WWE's best show at the minute, you know, maybe alongside, maybe if not second to NXT. But it, it just goes to show, you know, Roman can have really good, not just really good matches, but excellent storytelling with one of the Usos, never mind both of them. And 
you, you never know, they might replicate what they saw last year when it was Roman v Jay. They might do the same with Roman v Jimmy inside Hell in a Cell. It's like, I put your brother through this before and then he learned to acknowledge me. Now I'm going to do the same to you and once I beat you, you'll acknowledge me. So it's it's a system that kind of works, but with this new dynamic, you know, the and the twin brother connection is probably one of the strongest bonds anybody could ask for. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting to see where we're going to go with this. It's um, yeah, I, I don't even want to get into fantasy booking because we'll but we'll be here all day. Yeah. Uh, we went to Raw this past week, um, and it's something we spoke about privately in the group chat uh, with the rest of the crew. Um, Drew McIntyre interrupts Bobby Lashley at the start of Raw. He says he wants his title match. He wants a one-on-one -on -one title match, despite getting one of those at WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. um, Kofi comes out, you know, he he says, well, Drew, actually move your ass to the back of the line because I beat Bobby Lashley, something you haven't done. Since... I mm. Since, I was going to say, he hasn't beaten Lashley one-on-one -on -one since, I think, Backlash last year. Or it might have been, there might have been one time before that, but it's escaped. Oh, yeah, there you go. Who slips up now? It was Extreme Rules, was it not? No, it was backlash. No, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, sli you slipped on the banana uh, peel there. <laughs> I know. Fucking ever changing schedule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but no, he hasn't beat him since backlash last year. Yeah, you're right enough. Um, and Kofi says, you know, he wants his title match. You know, the, uh, Adam Pearson makes the match Drew versus Kofi. They get into it. Bobby and MVP get involved, double DQ happens, next week one-on-one, -on -one, winner faces Bobby. But what we were talking about in the, in the group chat was that Drew is starting to become a bit overexposed in the WWE title scene. You know, he's been there since he won the Royal Rumble uh, in January 2020. We're nearly 18 months later, he's still in and about the title picture with no, no signs of anyone moving him out there. Is he in danger of becoming a bit stale? Maybe a little bit when it comes to the, you know, being always been in the title picture. You know, he's starting to venture into John Cena, Randy Orton territory there. But for good reason, though, because he's been arguably the MVP of the entire Thunderdome era. And obviously with WWE going back on the road in the next couple of months, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, because we've only ever seen one proper crowd reaction since becoming WWE Champion, and that was when he was at WrestleMania. You know, he went in as a challenger and he still got a huge ovation. But we never actually seen a reaction when he was the champion. So that might make a little bit more intrigue around, maybe surrounding the booking. But it's a... Uh, I, I get your point, you know, it's always been about Drew because he's been Raw's most reliable competitor since COVID hit. And he's the prime example of building a new star in the last couple of years. He's been their sort of go-to guy. But you almost forget, you know, Kofi Kingston is still a w is still a former champion. He never really sort of got that got that bounce back after the squash to Brock Lesnar. He, he, instead, he just got relegated back to the tag division with New Day. So this is a way for him to sort of break out again and maybe get the one up on Drew. If rumors are to be believed that Drew could end up having a summer feud with Jinder. And... If Drew's the one, you know, to be in the WWE title match at SummerSlam when crowds will most likely be back by then, maybe then they'll they'll decide 
you know, is um, have they done the right thing, you know, keeping Drew out of the way for a while? Yeah, I, I, I just feel we mentioned it with Asuka and we mentioned it uh, with a couple of other uh, superstars about being out of the title picture sometimes does them a bit of good because if you're not going to win it and you're going to keep losing, people are going to lose interest. But at the same time, if you're constantly there and you're constantly the guy winning, I mean, you you mentioned John Cena, that's a prime example, constantly wins. And, you know, it, it just, it ends up, you know, it ends up boring. People end up turning off. People end up looking elsewhere. Mm. I like Drew, but I, I do agree, you know, that I think he should have had, I think he should have a match at Hell in the Cell. I'm just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he wasn't pinned and he did all the work, blah, blah, blah. But if he loses at Hell in a Cell, I think it's time we we move him out of the title picture. I think it's time he, he sort of moves to pastures now. You know, hey, maybe he can move to SmackDown post-SummerSlam and be the guy to take the title off Roman Reigns. That would be something, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you remember their match at Survivor Series last year? That was that was a hell of a clash. But I wouldn't be surprised if Drew actually didn't have a match at Hell in a Cell. You know, sort of give give everybody a bit of a breather. You know, just to say like, well, he's still there, but he's just not got a an active program at the minute. You know, let's let's get Kofi back in and remind everybody. You know, this guy's a former champion. He could he could uh, you know pull off an upset as well. But um. I mean, the, the option's certainly there. Maybe Drew could do with, you know, moving to SmackDown in some capacity because, you know, SmackDown is, as we just, as we said, you know, it's doing great at the minute. And Roman is starting to run out, it's starting to run thin when it comes to challengers. So, I mean, who better than, than Drew to be the one to try and take it off him? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you talked about that, that crowd reaction. Could you imagine, even, even if it is at SummerSlam, I know the feud's uh, there for... Uh, the rumour is apparently there's going to be a feud between Jinder and Drew. Could you imagine the pot at SummerSlam if Drew takes the title off Roman Reigns? I think that'd be deafening. That'd be huge. Yeah, because Roman's solidified himself as the number one heel in the company. And, you know, given the list of people he's put down, you'd think, right, who on earth is going to stop him? I, but I think it'll be the diehard fans that are the ones that are probably going to try and make sure they get, you know, to... SummerSlam and stuff, and Vegas is where SummerSlam's meant to be this year. But um, I think it just really depends, you know, who's there and you know what the response is going to be initially, because you can't bank on diehard fans being there all the time. But I think as long as they get a, a very strong match, a very sort of solid back and forth, and then Drew comes out on top, I think that's what will get that's what will get people cheering. Yeah, I agree. Um, Drew could be good in that role, but. He could maybe do it with a month off, and you're right. Yeah, maybe maybe Kofi Kingston. Maybe maybe we have the gender feud start now. You know what I mean? And have gender cost him next week against Kofi. You know, Kofi wouldn't look any the weaker because I think we all know that the the Almighty WWE title reign is going to continue for a while. So, you know, I I, I don't see any harm in it. And um, for, some, he's, for some reason, he's morphed into like the Godfather, almost like a mafia boss. You know, with all the the women on sofas and stuff like a proper well for lack of a better phrase mvp <laughs> <laughs> um so we move from the wwe title scene to the uh, women's tag title scene david this is the fourth show a uh, fourth weekly televised show in a row that uh, natalia and tamina have 
fought against Shayna and Nia Jax. They fought in SmackDown. They then fought in Raw. They fought in a six-man, uh, six-woman tag, sorry, on SmackDown. Then fought again on Raw. It is just, oh, uh, you talk about overkill. I'm already not on board the Tamina train. I'm sorry. If you like it ironically, that's fine, fair enough. If you're trying to convince me there's something there, there's not. Natalia is as dull as dishwater. Related to Bret Hart, did you know that? Yeah, no, I didn't know that, actually. I'm ke- I'm ke- I say that with, a, with absolutely no sarcasm whatsoever. Yeah, she kept it quiet. Um, going up against Nia and Shayna, main event, so you know, at least it's been put in a, you know, a decent spot, but Natalia and Tamina win. The real story here is that Reginald is going to go up against Shayna Baszler next yeah. week. I was looking for thoughts on that there, David, not just I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to give thoughts because it's such a weird booking concept. I mean, this is not a position that Shayna Baszler should be in, given, you know, as a solo star, she was the best thing about NXT in 2019. So just seeing her sort of being relegated to the tag division, I just, I don't like seeing her in that position. And, but even worse now, she's been booked into sort of like a, a comedy angle, like an intergender match with Reginald. And who, by the way, you know, I mean, Reginald is very entertaining. I will, I will give him that. And he's even, he was at one point, you know, maybe a Carmella's sidekick, but now he's actually outgrown her and he's become the bigger star. I never thought I'd see the day, but I'm just disappointed because, just because of the way Shayna's been put into this. Because uh, I'd have thought by now, maybe Nia and Shayna might, you know, tease a split or whatever, but I think that's just too much, too straightforward when it comes to booking. I reckon, you know, they might actually, you know, maybe Reginald will be this, the one that sort of, jumps between Nia and Shayna, maybe it creates a bit of confusion, but then then again, Raw's storylines have been pretty confusing for, for God knows how long. And I, I admit, Nat, Natalia and Tamina haven't exactly, you know, lit the world on fire with their women's tag title reign, but I think it, sort of, it all sort of boiled down to, you know, Tamina was getting cheered at WrestleMania and they sort of just rolled with it. But it does highlight how paper thin the women's tag team division is uh, on on SmackDown, like NXT's women's division is more stacked than both those rosters combined. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's um, it's just <laughs> I, I spoke to Ryan about this last week about how the amount of stars they ignored when we wanted to cheer them, the amount of people they wouldn't push, the likes of Ryder, Rusev, you know, Ryder, Rusev, Mizdow. Samoa Joe, and yet Tamina gets one ironic chant at WrestleMania. See you next time WWE don't push the indie darling or the former New Japan Cup winner that you love so much because the crowd's cheering for him. You've brought it on yourself because <laughs> you're not Tamina, okay? You, you, in the words of the Joker, you get what you fucking deserve, all right? You've got Tamina. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I 100% agree with you uh, on the, the Shayna Baszler front. I think she's far too good um, to be in this sort of intergender comedy feud. I think she's far too good for the women's tag titles, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, she but... should have won the Raw women's title from Becky Lynch, and then Becky could have gone off on pregnancy. Like, there was the booking yeah, was well, right in itself. 
Well, I, I, they didn't know, obviously, that she was pregnant, and I don't think even if you said, "Listen, um, we're going to do a cinematic match," I, I even still, I think, you know, health and safety wouldn't allow it. I wouldn't expect Becky to allow it, and I, <clears throat> I wouldn't blame Shane if she was uncomfortable. So, you know, I, I do agree though. She should have won Money in the Bank. Like she was on the roster for six months. And she managed to lose the Royal Rumble in the final two, lost at WrestleMania to Becky, and then lost the money in the bank. She lost a lot of big matches in a row and then just disappeared from TV until mm-hmm. until the whole uh, Nia Shayna feud. Yeah, and uh, it makes, I, I do think about, you know, Mickey James's comments, you know, after she got released, you know, she's been very vocal about like ageism, particularly when it comes to their female competitors. And Shayna Baszler's in her forties and she can go much better than most of the women on the roster and yet she's been booked like this it's it it doesn't seem fair you know given that you know it doesn't matter what gender you are what age you are if you're an ass kicker in the ring you should be booked like an ass kicker yeah but um i'm saying yeah but like i was going to go into a rant about wwe there but i stopped not yeah but as if well no (laughs) No, but yeah yeah like i i 100 agree with what you said there is a lot of ageism there like the prime example is Mickey James's age. She's the same age as John Cena. John mm-hmm. Cena turned around to Vince McMahon tomorrow and said, I can do six matches in a row for you. Like, yeah. he would jump at that chance, you know what I mean? So, Aye. And help me become a Grand Slam champion win the Intercontinental title. Yeah. Um, Although, so, one, thing, one thing that I noticed as well from this tag title match, I think this is the first time I've seen Natalia wear something that wasn't pink and black. You know, this time she wore red and black. Wow, after a world away there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, look, we can get into it all day about the women's. You know, we've discussed at length on Central and on multiple shows about how you know the women's tag titles need to be booked better and how Shayna Baszler deserves better. But this is what we've got at the minute, so we'll we'll kind of move on. We'll usually preview Dynamite. But that's on a Friday this week. Dynamite is part of the um, the double or nothing sort of weekend celebrations. Um, I'm going to be honest, David. See, because it's post WrestleMania, I I don't tune out of wrestling, but I I pay a lot less attention to the dates and like when pay per views are coming up and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, double or nothing just sort of crept up on us a bit here. Yeah, I was too busy looking at. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I was too busy focusing on, you know, things like NXT and SmackDown because they're the, the whole talk of the town. But after Blood and Guts, you think, right, okay, AEW is going to go into a bit of a dip before its next pay-per-view. But then you realise, oh my gosh, it's actually happening this Sunday. And they've already got nine matches booked. Yeah, you know, like, I, I, we're saying, you know, oh my God, it's happening already. Like, it just because it snuck up on us doesn't mean, you know, AEW haven't been booking it well. Um, we'll, we'll touch on a couple of the matches. Um, Hikaru Shida, uh, currently AEW's longest reigning champion of all time, mm-hmm. uh, against Britt Baker uh, for the AEW Women's Championship. Um, Britt Baker put a tweet out, I, I believe it was either yesterday or today, mm-hmm. uh, saying about how two years ago, insert the day there, was the first double or nothing. Britt Baker won. Uh, the I believe it was a fatal four way, mm-hmm. and she's not been on a pay per view since. She's not been on an AEW pay per view since. That is crazy to think about. I saw that tweet earlier on, and I'm thinking 
that can't be right, surely. Like, she's one of AEW's top stars. But then, when you think about it, she's actually been relegated to AEW Dark most of the time. Like, she's never had a, a compelling, you know, feud when it comes to either the women's title match or just a general women's feud in general. Like, it's the, the title match has always really revolved around, in the last two years, it's mainly revolved around, uh, like, Riho, Hikaru Shida, Nyla Rose, and maybe to an extent, even Chris Statlander. But Britt Baker, you know, she was just sort of there in the background and she never even got, got even noticed. I, and I may appreciate, you know, there was a couple of injuries here and there. Uh, but that, what really sort of put her back in contention was the Lights Out match with Thunder Rosa. And that's still arguably AEW's best women's match to date. And I think she's finally going to get her dues. And I think this time she's going to defeat Hikaru Shida and become the new champion. Yeah, it's weird because we've been talking about how she's, she's the most well-known She's the most, you know, she's the only person with a, a character. You know, we can we can make fun of the wrestling dentist character all we want, you know, but like Isaac Jankum. Yeah, she's the only person with a character who's then developed it further. You know what I mean? It's not just about being a like the wrestling dentist. She's she's so much more. You know what I mean? She's a she's a complex character, and yes, she has been injured from time to time, but she's she's someone who is constantly well known. And yet she's constantly overlooked. You know, she's never been the champion. She's always the person that loses, like, last in the Battle Royal to Nyla Rose, or she's on the pre-show, or, you know what I mean? It's it, it's strange to think we're at this point, and, you know, we were talking about Natalia earlier. There was a time where Natalia was WWE's really only good in-ring wrestler, mm-hmm. and yet she was never ever... She, she was never ever used in the way yeah. she should have been at that time. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, Natalia's been with WWE for 13 years now. And I think she first started, you know, as an up and comer before joining with the, the Hart Dynasty. And that was sort of her sort of role as the managerial position. And her first sort of singles title win came when she defeated Lay Cool in 2010. But then that's when she was saddled with all these ridiculous gimmicks, such as, uh, you know, the, you remember the farting gimmick? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's things like that, yeah. That's what she was reduced to. Yeah, and it's it, it's a weird one because, you know, Britt Baker is insanely talented, but she, at the same time, that's not knocking Hikarashida. She's, you know, we, we went back and forward on how disappointed we are with the AEW's women's division, but every time there's a big match, Hikarashida delivers. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because, you know, the the women's world title match is the only women's match on the double or nothing card at the minute but as was announced on twitter i think it was i think the pre-show is going to be showing the nwa women's world title match where serena deeb is defending against riho and and yeah it just goes goes back to what you were saying there's there's not a lot going on with the women's division aside from the the main title and then the addition of the nwa women's title which is i guess it ties in with the whole um you know sort of venturing out between other companies and stuff and but that you can only take that so far you need some good solid stories behind more than just title matches yeah you can't just have another company's title there when you're not developing your own title in that time in that time period it is a bit you know i mean like thunder rosa you know they stole her from nwa came in as nwa champion and then she's just you know, she had the feud with Britt Baker. 
not done much since and just AEW yeah. just signs Thunder Rosa like she's there that often you'd think she was actually part of the roster yeah yeah exactly um, we'll go into the men's world title Kenny Omega also the AAA mega champion and the Impact world champion and the TNA going champion well it's Impact it's TNA Impact what, well he's got the TNA he's got, he's got the TNA title as well yeah, but it's not an actual title. Like it's the Impact title. It's just a prop. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy versus Pack. I-, I believe it was you. I-, I spoke to. It was the. It was the show we did after. Uh, we were reviewing Blood and Guts. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. I- and we spoke about the Orange Cassidy. Um, promo and I said I wouldn't mind a wee mini feud with Orange Cassidy before they get into the, the feud with Pac. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought Orange Cassidy was going to be in the main event, but you know, I'm I'm really I really am here for it. I am so looking forward to this triple threat match. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly unconventional for AEW to have, you know, somebody like Orange Cassidy in in the main event of the big the big pay-per-view like this is their equivalent of wrestlemania i believe double or nothing but i'm pretty sure i said before as well if anything's going to carry orange cassidy to the main event it's his popularity with the with the crowd and it certainly seems to have happened in this instance because they had that back and forth that blood and guts kenny and orange and you could tell there was something brewing there i just didn't imagine you know it would you know, sort of drift into the the double or nothing main event, and then you've got the outside factor in the form of Pack, who, as we've seen, you know, with him and Omega, we we said before, you know, they had some a brilliant series of matches with Pack, even getting a win over Omega at one point. So it's um, but seeing it in a triple threat capacity, it's a little bit of a curveball because you, I think you know anybody would have accepted, you know, two one v one feuds somewhere down the line. But maybe just because Double or Nothing's coming up, they might as well strike while the iron's hot and just get both of them in there. So, but it certainly adds a, a new dynamic to it, and I'm and I'm definitely looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. And there is obviously the outside thing, uh, as you mentioned as well. What? Uh, sorry, when you're mentioning outside factors, I should say he has his Triple A Mega Match in July against Andrade. Yep. He is also on TNA. Uh, so you're on Impact with see that's you that is he's also <laughs> the Impact World Champion the Forbidden Door is always open according to Tony Khan I mean could we see someone maybe interfere maybe cost Kenny one of his titles you know maybe, maybe. add to the intrigue I I don't think so if I was going to fantasy book it however I do think we're going to have a a one-on-one pack versus Omega match very soon. I think, as much as his popularity's carried him to the main event and he deserves to be there, I think Orange Cassidy is taking the pinfall here. Yeah, I think this is purely to protect Pack in some instances because, like, a Kenny Pack feud down the line certainly has more intensity behind it and a lot more history to that as well. But then you've also got. They, they're also doing the Casino Battle Royal again, where the winner gets a future world title match. So again, that sets up not just the next feud after Double or Nothing, but possibly the one after it as well. Yeah, it's it's some lineup. I'm just going to read you the, the people in that match. Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Pelta, Penta, 
L Zero, uh, Jungle Boy, Matt Hardy, Mark Quinn, Isaiah Casty, The Blade, Evil Uno, Colt Cabana, Preston Vance, Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr., Max Caster, Anthony Bones, QT Marshall, Nick Com- uh, Comoroto. Comoroto, yep. Yes. Versus Dustin Rhodes, versus Lee Johnson, versus two be announced as always. Uh, number 21 is always a surprise entrant. Those entrants, if you didn't hear them again, once again, oh, Christian Gates, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Penta L Zero, Jungle Boy, Matt Hardy, Mark Quinn, Isaiah Castery, Blade, Evil Uno, Colt Cabana, Preston Vans, Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr., Max Caster, Anthony Bowens, QT Marshall, Nick Camarotto, Dustin Rhodes, Lee Johnson, and to be announced. And those names, and if you didn't hear them again, stop well, it, we'll stop it. If you didn't, you're getting in the way of my joke. If you didn't hear those again, <laughs> rewind it because I'm not doing it again. Um, uh, Christian's winning this. You think Christian's winning it? Yeah. I mean, ever since he came back, first thing he talked about was Kenny Omega and the AW World Title. This is, I think, this is the the most predictable battle royal that I've seen when it comes to AEW. Um. So I, I'm not going to put this on the sweep because every time I do it, I'm wrong. So I've got a feeling that if I don't do it, it's going to happen. But every time there is a mystery partner or a mystery competitor or a mystery opponent for someone in WWE or in AEW for the past two years, everyone in the sweep always goes, why not James Storm? James Storm. It's going to be James Storm. <laughs> it's never James Storm. The, the forbidden door is open. Uh, James Storm has made it clear as a TNA original he's not happy that Kenny Omega's got the Impact World Championship so I'm going to put that it's going to be Bastion Booger as the the surprise entrant because I'm hoping James Storm shows up eventually just eventually (laughs) James be be number 21 be the wild card sure why not just say Bastion Booger uh, yeah, looking at that lineup, I, I agree. I think Christian Cage is going to win it. Um, not a lot of, not a lot of star, not much say star power, but not a lot of the bigger names in this mm. match. I really hope we get an interaction between Christian Cage and Matt Hardy, because you know the history between these guys is goes back decades. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. Um, Stadium Stampede, uh, we saw that last year, we're seeing it again. Um, the Pinnacle against the Inner Circle, if the Inner Circle lose, they must disband. Um, I don't see them disbanding, I see Jericho too happy in this sort of role at the minute. I think he's got too much power in AEW to, to let them break up his stable, basically. And they lost blood and guts, so I think they're going to win the Stadium Stampede. and. Well, I don't know what the blow-off match is going to be because if there's been a stadium stampede and there's been a blood war games, match, I don't know where you go for there. I know, like you, you, you like hit the stars and then you're just coming back down again. Like, are they just going to do like a a traditional Survivor Series style match or something? See, the thing is, I I don't think I'd mind that as much. I think that could be good given who's involved. You know. You know, we've got FTR, we've got, you know, Pride and Powerful, I think. I think it'd be an amazing match if they did. Mm-hmm. And then add to this, maybe add to the, if they do do a third match, maybe we could say the losing group disbands forever. 
maybe that's when they'll break up the inner circle. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, the stadium stampede last time I thought was a lot, a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. it, it'll be interesting as well because there's a Sting match on this card: Sting and Darby Allen versus Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. I imagine, unless you're going to have Sting on the apron for ninety percent of the match and not take any bumps, that that will be a cinematic match to protect Sting from his obvious mm-hmm. neck injuries, and then you have the Stadium Stampede, which is you know a, a truly cinematic event. That's what made it fun last time. You know, I I don't think the audience would sit through that again, even if you know the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle made their way out and did the final fall in the ring. I think there's going to be fans there. You know, Tony Khan's hoping for a full house. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is fans going to sit through two, two cinematic matches? Well, given that they sat through uh, like about maybe four or five during Blood or Guts, during Blood and Guts, and people were, or well, some were fuming about, you know, trying to get refunds and stuff, I'm not sure they'd want to do as many cinematic matches this time, but if I had to have one of them as a as a cinematic, it would have to be Stadium Stampede. You know, sort of go all in with the well, pun intended. Go all in with the the faction warfare and make it try and recreate the magic that they did last year, even though that was those were already big shoes to fill. When it comes to the Sting Darby Allen match, I think Darby once again will need to do most of the work. Maybe Sting's been cleared to take a couple of bumps, but I don't imagine he'll spend very long inside the ring. He might get that last-minute flurry like, you know, Hulk Hogan used to do back in the 80s where, you know, he gets beat down for the entirety of the match and then he gets that resurgence, hits the five moves of doom, you know, and then everybody cheers because the hero beats the villain. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe. I'd, I'd, stadium Stampede would be my choice. If we had to pick one, I'm going mm-hmm. to Stadium Stampede. I'm just going to quickly name the rest of the card and you can give me quick predictions, okay? Quick 30 second snippets of your predictions. Sure. Uh, the Young Bucks uh, defending the AEW tag titles against Moxley and Kingston. Who have you got and why? Bucks, because there have been, I think there's been rumours going around that, and I was listening to Renee's, Renee Paquette's podcast as well, and she said she's basically on the verge of giving birth. She's, at, she's reached her nine months and. Uh, her and Moxley's daughter will be arriving soon so I don't know if maybe he'll take some time off to you know sort of be with her and look after the the new arrival uh, between then but I think now I think it's too soon for Moxley and Kingston to win the tag titles given outside circumstances and I think the Bucks you know if they get another win you know they can you know sort of go around parading that they're the greatest tag team of all time and this sort of cocky heelish attitude is actually is actually quite an interesting given that you know they've aligned themselves once again with Kenny Omega you know forming the elite yeah I agree with you there I think um, I think heel bucks is the most interesting bucks um, I just wish they'd sell a little more but that's a completely different show <laughs> um, we talked about Sting Darby Allen um, do you think they're going to win that against Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky just with Sting getting the big flurry at the end no, I think Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page are winning this. You know, ever since Scorpio Sky had his heel turn, he I think he's ready to sort of break out as a single star, even though he is sort of teaming with Ethan Page. Like, both of these guys, you know, they have an alliance. They could both go forward as singles guys. And Scorpio is one of those guys, I think, you know, could be in and around the TNT 
title picture at least, or maybe even to an extent the AEW world title scene. But yeah, Sting and Darby Allen got the initial win over Team Taz, but I think now's the time where I think Scorpio Sky gets his first big win as a heel. Yeah, um, we sort of talked about the, you know, last week uh, about how there's the new AEW show and, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a way to get more talent on TV. I think the best example of that's Ethan Page. He left a tag team to come for a singles run. He's now been thrown in a tag team and then Impact, Josh Alexander's the ex-division champion. So, uh, <laughs> anyhow, things and, work out sometimes. Yeah, and yet you get, you, you're, you're, you've got a whole week of AEW programming coming up, but yet people are still complaining that Raw's three hours. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> double standards much. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. Rage in a cage. cage they're on the same cage. page. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> it's all the rage. So, <laughs> Adam Page uh, versus Brian. I, I'm, I'm trying to read this book, following over my page and cage, page and cage. Page versus cage. Who do you have and why? Uh, page. Hangman. So, because Brian Cage, because Brian, I'll say Hangman and Brian. So, Brian uh, got the win on Dynamite, the Blood and Guts taping. I think Hangman needs a bit of retribution. Uh, and I think Hangman, you know, we've talked about Hangman, you know, sort of being within an arm's reach of becoming a single star. You know, he was in the very first AEW world title match. I think he needs to regain some of that momentum. And I think, you know, getting a, a comeback win over uh, Brian is the way to do it. So yeah, I'll go with Hangman on this one. A match I'm very interested in, Miro versus Lance Archer for the TNT Championship. Miro recently became the TNT Champion, defeating Darby Allin. Um, I, I think this could be great. I, you know, for all your flips and all your technical masterclasses and for all, you know, the death-defying stunts that some people do, sometimes you can't whack two big guys just battering lumps out of each other. Uh, what was the? Uh, I know I've said this a few times, but I have to use it again. Uh, big, you need big meaty men slapping meat. I, I don't need to know about your browser history. I just like to know <laughs> the TNT title match if you don't mind. <laughs> you know, it's you know what you know what's referencing to Big E's comments about wanting to face Goldberg on the New Days podcast. So don't give me any of that pish. Just asking for a prediction. Don't need to know about your proclivities. <laughs> no um, Miro. So you'll go in a detail about your internet history, but you won't go into detail about why you think Miro's retaining. Nah, he's only just won the title. I think he's. I think he could. No, this is the the run that you know. I think he's been craving for. I think we've all been craving for him to have in AEW. You know, ha have that dominant run as the mid card champion, kind of like when he was the US champion in WWE. Like this is the time to sort of sort of recapture that former glory and possibly even to an extent you know have more like a more wider array of matches because they're loaded with tnt sort of level talent at this stage and i think you know this would be his ticket to you know sort of picking up where where he sort of left like where he was left hanging in wwe yeah i agree but i think that's fair so we've covered all of the matches uh, I'm, i've left this one for last just to talk about you know this this looks like a great card Bucks versus Moxley and Kingston will either be a technical masterclass or very violent, depending on what way they go with it. And I'm looking forward to both. Sting versus Darby Allen, uh, Sting and Darby Allen versus Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, as we talked about. You know, we can talk about the difficulties of cinematic matches, but 
I still would. I'm still very glad to see Sting back in the ring. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I've been a fan since I was six years old of Sting. You know, it's just nice to see him. Stadium Stampede. That'll be great. We talked about, you know, your your fondness of big men slapping meat. Yeah. We'll talk about <laughs> Page versus Cage. We've talked about the Battle Royal. The participants in that Battle Royal, by the way, Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Pentem Zero. I'm doing that again. <laughs> I ran out of breath. Three in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe she's checking you get COVID if you're running short of breath. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Dave. <laughs> the, the women's title and the world title match. Cody Rhodes, right? Ah, yes. <sighs> Where do we start with Cody Rhodes? It's Cody being Cody. That's what it yeah. is. Cody Rhodes, who said this wouldn't be WCW point two point oh. Uh, he, you know, he mm. wants to be. He wants to beyond the ball when he's, he wants to be you know he, he put wrestling into the future and by the way Brandy Rhodes as chief marketing officer has some great ideas and is really on point and is always on the ball with pop culture but Cody 10 feuds here <laughs> he's going up against Anthony Ogogo former British um, British Box. boxer Yep. It's part of QT Marshall's stable. It's been billed as a sort of America versus the bad guys feud. You know what I mean? Like, I, I seen somebody put up the, the Mitchell and Webb thing when they're both dressed as Nazis. And it's Wait, a what? British fans. It's a Mitchell and Webb sketch. When oh, right, I see, yeah. Nazis, and it's British fans put up. British fans waking up to see AEW like, are we the baddies? Uh, <laughs> Cody Rhodes cut that terrible America promo. Like, Brandy Rhodes can tweet about how good it was all she wants. This was pish, okay? Uh, We're in 2021. Wrestling's international. I know they're based in America. I know Cody's American. I do not give a fuck what nationality wrestlers are as long as they're interesting and the matches are good. I don't need to see America versus insert country here in a flag match. Yeah, kind of like uh, seeing a Rusev in twenty. Hundred percent. Yeah, and then Hulk Hogan against anybody. <laughs> that's that's like full blown America kind of thing. But that's the thing though, like nineteen eighties America and you know propaganda and you know the height of the Cold War and all that. You know. Th that's when this thing worked and you know mm -hmm. if WWE did it you'd be like oh for god's sake Vince let it go mm -hmm. let it it worked in the 80s with Hogan it doesn't work now yeah but this but is, in, this all in all fairness to WWE the the entire sort of Thunderdome slash pandemic era was held up by a Scotsman no no I'm not, I'm not talking about that I'm talking about if that was booked that way I'm not saying that Vince isn't pushing foreigners like I'm not getting into that what I'm saying is Cody's problem with WWE is that they're stuck in the past and yet when you look at Cody's feuds since he's been in AEW and he has carte blanche to do so he is he is the the booking freedom that he likes because he books the show he's he's been in so many past it feuds and so many feuds that it, it's nice that he wants to be the American dream all right I get kids idolizing their dads but could you not do it on a national television show, please? You know what I mean? Uh, like, 
Well, I, I get where you're coming from, but at the same time, I think AEW needs to sort of cater to an audience that still has that still has that sort of raw patriotic emotion behind it because you know there are many of americans racists they're called racists what no 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 hang on hang on i think you're being a bit harsh there like you know you get some proper proper patriots like you know take a look at any country in the world any country you know has some very proud patriots you know if you know where to look so uh, i mean I, I don't mind there sort of being like american patriots and stuff on these kinds of shows but just don't milk it till it's dry that's i think that's the the message that you're trying to suggest and but do you think there's an element of cody almost trying to rewrite history in a way given that he has he's trying to do all this america versus the world kind of feud i mean you were right they were popular in the 80s but now do you think he's just trying to do all that himself in 2021 I think, yeah, he is. That, that was my point. It is 2021. He's trying to do stuff from the 80s. He's basically just trying to do every Dusty Rhodes, you know, stipulation that was going. You know, the original Blood and Guts, it was going to be the Elite versus um, the Inner Circle. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID so, happened. So. Yeah, then COVID happened. So he was going to be in a war game, his dad invented it. He was going to be... You know, he had his great American Bash t-shirt, you know, he, he's the American Nightmare again, he's, you know, it's just, I'm trying not to, I don't want to be too harsh, and I, I know it's probably ship sailed on that, because I liked Cody Rhodes, Intercontinental Champion Cody Rhodes, I liked, I thought he deserved a lot better in WWE, I thought certainly in the era where, you know, the WWE title was on Raw and the World title was on SmackDown, and that was sort of the secondary title, I felt he was more than capable of having a run with that but in AEW when he has control of the booking and no one can tell him no there's times where he has matches such as the Dustin Rhodes match where you're like WWE you missed an opportunity here you missed the bolt here this could have been a great Wrestlemania match well done Cody you've proved them wrong and then there's stuff like this where it's just so far past what wrestling fans actually want you know what i mean like wwe being not being on the pulse is talked about so often a a patriot versus the other guy sort of match in 2021 is just not what wrestling fans want to see and i'm sorry it's just it's it's one of AEW's biggest problems cody rhodes is a one of AEW's biggest problems as well as one of his biggest strengths because he knows wrestling he grew up in the business he knows talent he he has a great team around him you know and brandy Rhodes, i've mentioned as well as the branding officer great you know some great forward thinking you know inclusion initiatives and what have you but at the same time when he's got the run of the place and he's booking himself in like five, six feuds and, you know, yeah, I'll not be in the AEW title picture, yeah, but I'm going to have a promo segment that lasts 25 minutes and 24 of those minutes is my entrance. Like, <laughs> and, just, I'll, and I'll use all the, the pyro budget on my entrance alone. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he smashed that Triple H throne uh, um, Double or Nothing 2019. I'm sorry, but he's turned into authority 
authority Triple H <laughs> when every single Raw used to start with Triple H's entrance and any boring, winding 20-minute Triple H promo. Like, that Cody Rhodes is turning right into that, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah. You see this match, I'm, with, I'm, Go- see this match with uh, Anthony Agogo, though? I really hope that it's a one-punch KO. I mean, it might not yeah, be, but it's... Uh, I think that's it, what it thinking. Because it's Cody. Like, I... It, see, if he was going up against anyone else, I, I would say, like, one-punch KO, because... Like, I, I've seen people complaining, like, oh my god, that doesn't look realistic. Like, real punches, you know, you watch MMA, mm-hmm. you know, the, the strikes you see sometimes, you see them in slow motion, you're like, that yeah. doesn't look like it hurt. And that doesn't Anthony, look like. Yeah, Anthony Agogo has also come a very long way, you know, over the past 13 years since the first time he was on TV was when he was a part of Big Brother. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was uh, It was that, um, he was part of that celebrity hijack show where I think it was celebrities who did the role of Big Brother. He was one of the housemates on that and it was because the housemates at the time were meant to be folk that had unique special talents and him being a boxer was the reason he was on it. All right. I did not know he was on Big Brother. I knew he was a boxer. I knew he, he competed. Did he compete in the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games? I think it was one or the other. I think it was the Commonwealth Game. In no way. Oh, I don't remember actually. Well, it was one of the two, and I think he won a bronze medal for it. Oh, there you go. Uh, he won a bronze medal. Yeah, yeah he's done both. Sorry. He oh, right. represented England in the Commonwealth Games in 20, 2010 in Delhi. And won a silver medal he won a bronze medal at the olympic games in the 2012 london olympics so there you go skilled boxer um been impressed with him so far but you know another thing here you know i talked about the problems of cody you know he's got a great team around him sometimes using that team as wrestlers and on-screen talent when they shouldn't be and i'm talking about qt marshall who's managing anthony agogo um uh. you know from Meant to be in the inner circle to being in QT Marshall's stable. It's a hell of a downgrade, I can tell you. Yeah, it's, I think Anthony Agogo is the best thing about the factory at the minute because you know he's the one that's got the potential to really make a, make an impression in AEW. QT Marshall's just sort of been there. And I don't think we've seen enough of Nick Comarotto and Aaron Solo to really sort of get a grip of them but you know Anthony Agogo you know he's a he's a recognized athlete the world over and he has been for about a decade now so that's why he he's in the position to be the most successful person coming out of that group just because he not only has the international appeal behind him but he is a very successful athlete in his own right yeah yeah I'm, I'm hoping that a one-touch punch KO as you mentioned but anyone but Cody it could happen Cody Rhodes it's not going to happen he's going to be is going to hit him and Cody's going to get up and struggle because America don't lay down, boy. And then he's going to hit him again. And that fighting American spirit while a bald eagle flies overhead shows that America don't give up. And then you can beat him black and blue, but red, white and blue don't run, boy. And Cody Rhodes will get up again and again as, as Bon Jovi strums the national anthem <laughs> as the Air Force stream uh, red, white, blue over Daly's place because America don't give up. 
Basically, what I'm saying is Cody Rhodes an asshole. Um, <laughs> and then when and then when Anthony Gogo's coming out, they could just uh, they could have the the town crier shout, "The British are coming." <laughs> well, we'll move on from double or nothing because I could Cody bash all day. Um, uh, phrasing. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's a handsome man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hide that. He has a handsome um, man, actually, yeah. So, we'll, we'll go from, uh, you know, the in-ring stuff to outside the ring. And Adnan Vic, is, is that how you pronounce it? Adnan Vark, yeah. Adnan Vark. Sorry. Raw's commentator for all of... <laughs> <laughs> um, has decided to mutually part ways with WWE. Uh, WWE didn't release much in a statement, uh, and it looks like it's just been a case of he doesn't, would you call it, he doesn't, seven Raws, there you go, seven Raws in a pay-per-view. So. Um, like, it's, maybe he just didn't, he just didn't gel with the WWE style, because he's meant to be a, he's meant to be a legit, broadcaster sports broadcaster whereas yeah the wwe style it's it's either hit or miss when it comes to you know if you want to if they want to bring in proper like proper legit sporting commentators it's always going to be a mixed bag like it, it didn't work with mike adamley and it just didn't work out in this instance the the really sad thing is mike adamley actually lasted longer than adnan yeah but um greg hamilton put out a tweet um, saying, for those who didn't know, at Adnan is a class act, did his very best in a situation within our business, that that is difficult. He accepted the challenge, which most wouldn't do, so stop, stop trolls. It's, sorry, stop, stop. Trolls couldn't do any better, come at me and I'll still support my guy. He did his best, Hamilton wrote, uh, Hamilton then wrote in a follow-up tweet, also I get one shot to deliver your favourite superstars introduction, one. It has to be perfect every time. Know what I mean to say. No, perfect is a ring announcer. Perfect, or you will notice. Perfect for years. Uh, so maybe he's just not happy at the whole botch of sort of people um, there. But yeah, um, Byron Saxton said, I'm extremely grateful I got to work with you. You were an exceptional human being. Uh, Corey Graves said, I appreciate your time and effort in this crazy world. If anything else, we made some new friends in the process. Best of luck. So from looking at it, mm. it just looks like he's maybe came in. It's not been for him. He's decided to leave early. I, I really don't see a problem in that. You know what I mean? Like people will be Aye. like, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend he was the best because I didn't like him. I, I not like him personally. I didn't think he was a yeah. Well, Tom Phillips, who David Campbell is a man crush on. <laughs> When Tom Phillips was, you know, taken out, we were like, all oh, right, this guy, you know, from ESPN, he's this, he's that, the next thing. He's decided, I don't want to maybe do this. So, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's decided just to leave. Uh, there's no, no harm whatsoever, because, you know, he's, um, like, as you said, he's very talented in his own right. It's just the WWE style didn't suit him. It's, it's the equivalent of, like, you know, trying on a, a new coat which is about two sizes too big for you. Like it it's a it does kinda fit, but not but you don't feel comfortable in it, if that makes sense. 
moving swiftly on. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. I, I like that analogy. Give me peace. So, uh, there's been speculation that former UFC and American Ninja Warrior announcer Jimmy Smith will replace uh, Adnan going forward. Um, no word on when or if. To be honest, I feel bad for Tom Phillips here. I really do. <laughs> it's like he's just been forgotten he, about. But Tom's yeah, actually he, really good. Yeah, I, I don't see any problem. I, Tom, to me, is unoffensive. He's just... There's nothing... I'm not going to make out his prime JR. But, you know, he's like Michael Cole. He's there. He's a comforting voice. He's, he's good at what he does. He knows the product. I, I, I really don't know why they keep taking him in and out, but... Best of luck to whoever has the job next, and best of luck to Adnan wherever he goes next, because by all accounts, it seemed like he was a nice enough guy, but just not for him. From one person leaving the company to someone who we don't see much of in the company these days, that's John Cena. He's been busy promoting Fast and Furious 9. Yes, there's nine of them now. <laughs> um, and he received a bit of backlash on... Uh, Weibo, uh, which is China's biggest social media platform uh, from its fans and from many government officials uh, because he referred to Taiwan as a country. Um, for those of you who don't know, Taiwan, a self-governed island state separated from mainland China by the Taiwan Strait. Beijing opposed to the suggestion that Taiwan is an independent state. And John Cena has been forced to apologise because they said Taiwan will be the first uh, country to see Fast and Furious 9. He was promoting it. He was doing it in uh, Mandarin, which he's been learning, you know. By the way, fair play to John Cena, you know. He goes all in on everything he does. Yeah. And to be learning Chinese, to bas like basically get into that market and to, to interact with fans in that market in their native tongue, you know, it's... Mm -hmm you know, fair play to him. But the whole thing, it just, it seems rather ridiculous that John Cena could start World War Three. You know what I mean? Like... Just because he, just because of a, a slight, uh, just for using the wrong word to describe Taiwan. Yeah, it's someone, Jesus, someone put on their Weibo account, please say Taiwan is part of China and Chinese, Otherwise, we will not accept your apology after John Cena put an apology up. Um, he, he did. Uh, it's, it's it's mad because I think it's easy to I think it's easy to confuse Taiwan as a country because you know as it said it's a self-governed island, but it's a self-governed island state which is owned by which is technically owned by China, but it has its own flag and has its, its own governing body. It's. I mean, it's it's a very I think it's a common misconception that you know, people would accidentally call Taiwan a country, but, you know, he's gone to the effort to apologize in in their native tongue. And I just think maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful because it is quite a, I appreciate, you yeah. know, it's quite a, a sensitive issue, but it's, do you think, um, even, even just, a, it just goes to show like how such a slight, you know, a slight turn of phrase, you know, or a word that's sort of been taken taken the wrong way, just because of one one slight mistake can lead to such a massive outrage. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Taiwan's officially recognised by a handful of nations as a like an, a, a, as having official country status. Uh, it's got a democratically elected government and it has strong commercial and informational links with many countries. Um, a lot of places don't have diplomatic relations with it. This is the boring part, Central guys. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, for years, it's tried to get, you know, it. It's been since 1949. It's been a sorry. China and Taiwan have had separate governments since the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949. Beijing has long tried to limit Taiwan's international activities and both have vied for the, inf uh, for the influence in the Pacific region. So there you go. China wants it. Taiwan says no. China says you're not a country. Taiwan says we are. Um, and I, I thought Taiwan was a country. I didn't know it had all this stuff tied to it. I don't want to say it's not a country, you know. I mean, it's it's just a weird one. Um, yeah. But it's it's just so bizarre that, in a franchise that long should have been shelved, the Fast and the Furious, <laughs> um, with an actor, a wrestler turned actor, John Cena, who's most famous for being in these daft. It's John Cena. Means. <laughs> and vines it's it's just so bizarre that he started an international conflict uh china is where fast and furious does some of its biggest overseas um revenue so i think the studio have told him to apologize for saying it's a country but then other people will be upset that he said it's not a country now so john cena unfortunately has found himself in a non-win-win situation because yeah. of a dispute between China and Taiwan that dates back to 1949. I think this is what this is, this is one of those times where John Cena wishes people couldn't see him. Yeah, I, I think I think you might be right there. I think that's uh, that's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So from bizarre international news to bizarre people, um, Patrick Clark, the former Velveteen Dream was released this past week uh, by WWE. He hadn't been seen on WWE TV since a losing effort to, I believe, Tommaso Ciampa in December. Mm -hmm. um, he'd been used sparingly since accusations came out against him uh, in the Speaking Out movement, and he's officially been released. He's broke his silence. Um, he took to Instagram this morning, uh, the morning of his WWE release, I should say, to address allegations against him uh, according to Wrestling, uh, the article they have, he said he felt strong about not defending himself on social media, but he understood the audience he works for and felt that those that know him deserved clarity. He also said he's grateful for the opportunities and memories that ended and ended his statement by declaring, the dream is officially over, but Patrick Clark will live to fight another another day. So one of the one of the big allegations, one of the first things that came out against uh, Velveteen Dream was the fact that a voice clip went about asking, which had the the snippet of what school do you go to? Uh, he he claims he was asking what wrestling school he went to, and he was in mm. keeping with the character. Um, I, I would say that's quite naive, but we need to remember Patrick Clark is, I believe. Only twenty, I believe he's twenty three or twenty four. Twenty four, yeah. He's, he's still yeah. like, but yeah, early to mid twenties. He, he would have been twenty three of this happened. So if 
if that was the reason, he should have known better, but you can't excuse naivety. At the same time, he's going to have to maybe deal with the fact that might, a lot of people might not believe that because, you know, he, he's waited so long to come out, you know, and defend these accusations and, you know, rightly or for the right or wrong reasons, you know, he's he's not came out and defended himself. He's not came out, you know, and broke mm-hmm. kayfabe and, you know, it, I think if we can get away from the ugliness of this, as a as a fan who liked the character, I liked the Velveteen Dream character. I think he could have been absolutely huge, and it's a shame that if he didn't, if he didn't do these things, if he if the claims he makes are true, then it's a shame a career's been delayed by by being caught in a a movement that needed to happen and speaking out movement but you know he he was caught up in it and unfortunately he's been released mm-hmm. if, i think there, there is if, i think i think it's good to still get if he has done these things however then it's fully deserved and quite frankly he shouldn't be allowed back in the wrestling business if mm-hmm. that is true but i don't think we'll ever know the full story no, I think that's the the worst part of it. It's like you'll you'll never know the true circumstances behind all this. But reading his statement and how much detail he's got into, I'm sort of inclined to believe it until unless something else has come out to say no, he's completely lying. So it, it seems like he was caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, you know, ever since you know his his DM started opening, then you've got these quote unquote fans who you know message him, and then he responds. Like you said, the naivete comes in with that as well. And for whatever reason, it's evolved into this very controversial storyline, or no, not storyline, like controversial, like he said, he said type story. It's. It's a tough one to say because it's you've got people saying one thing, you've got him saying another. Yeah, it's you can't really sort of make heads or tails of it. But what I do appreciate is that he's actually now finally, you know, told his side of the story. And to finish it off, an ever-changing story that we're not going to get too much into because East meets West or Japanese. Uh, wrestling podcast hosted by Grant and Scott uh, is going to get into the more finer details of this but Will Ospreay David rumoured for NXT UK Oof, can you imagine like you know Will Ospreay's got that much star power you know you thought he'd have gone to Raw or Smackdown but see like this would be if that's the case then you know Will Ospreay and NXT UK would be a massive massive acquisition you know given that he already had a big one in with like Mako Satabura. But I mean, if you if WWE were struggling to get eyes on the NXT UK product, I mean this would be certainly one way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's actually many people apparently uh, within New Japan that believe he's going to NXT UK. Um several of the staff uh, have been vocal about their belief that NXT UK is Osprey's end game. Um Will Ospreay recently had to vacate uh, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship 
with uh, a neck injury, unfortunately, and obviously we don't know how long he's going to be out for. You know, he, he he's recently shared X-rays of his neck. I'm not going to recommend you look at them because it's horrendous. But he was recently on the Two Man Power Trip podcast, uh, David, and he says he wants to be in New Japan for the foreseeable future. So. I think this is the sort of place where it's, it's a lot of football when a, when a footballer says, no, I'm committed to this club, I'm committed to it. This is the club I love. But mm-hmm. you always know there's rumours that a bigger club are circling them. You know what I mean? It's like whenever a, a Rangers or Celtic player says, I'm going nowhere, but you know there's interest for the big teams in the English Premier League. You're like, uh-huh. yeah, he's not going to be here long. <laughs> yeah, it's always... Contract negotiations are tricky in any sport, even in like the world of wrestling you know people can say they're going to be with a company for for so long maybe maybe it's just to quell any rumors or you know maybe don't try and sort of get people to think you know that they're going anywhere but it's it's uh ever since the rumors came up i i've always been thinking you know what would it be like if will osprey did go to nxt uk like would he be the one to defeat walter Wait, would he be the ideal representative for NXT UK? But obviously, you know, given stories and allegations of his past, I don't think a lot of people would be too happy about it. But I can, you know, if if WWE ended up offering him a contract and a hefty salary, like better than what he's getting at the minute, you know, yes. maybe in some cases he'll just follow the money. Um. So the podcast, I should say, the Two Man Power Trip. Uh, of Pro Wrestling Podcast was released on May 25th but was recorded prior to Will Ospreay vacating the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship uh, due to his neck injury but he has said to himself uh, it's a short statement this time so we won't need to edit this out uh, I've committed myself to New Japan and I'll say it time and time again I could happily end my career here just because it is honestly my main mission in life was when I first started wrestling, I was like, when I'm 30 year old, I think I'll just stop wrestling. I'm slowly hitting my prime. Do you know what I mean? I'm 28, it's two years away from hitting 30. I've signed a long-term deal with New Japan. So I will be here past 30, so I've already screwed myself over. But I guess I'm happy here. I'm happy here, man. And once again, before the pandemic hit, I was going back and forth to England and Japan and I was seeing my family, and I could go to Australia and New Zealand to see my missus, uh, my missus's family. So he's basically, he's, he seems happy enough, you know, Japan's not that far, you know, a flight to New Zealand. Uh, oh, it's a lot further than you think. Yeah, compared to Britain. Oh yeah, but. Aye, it, it's sort of a, it's sort of, it's, it's, easier to get to New Zealand from Japan than it is from Britain to New Zealand. So if he's there with B Priestley, you know, they can go see her family. He can fly back. He doesn't seem to mind the travel, you know what I mean? And he has praised New Japan for the free reign he's sort of been afforded there. So it's it's a weird one, you know. People can say one thing, but money says another, you know what I mean? As you mentioned, maybe he'll go for the money. Maybe he'll go, maybe depending on his neck injury, we know the the WWE style is considered more safer uh, than the, you know, the hard-hitting Japanese style. Maybe 
maybe you know he'll decide once he gets his neck injury results back and you know if he needs surgery and how long he's going to be out for you know but Scott and Grant can speculate on this David I'll, I'll just ask you simply would you like to see Will Ospreay in NXT UK oddly yes because I think mainly because I want to see him and Walter go at it yeah I think him and Walter on a takeover stage I think could be something special mm-hmm. yeah but that is going to do it here for us on ESSR Central this week. I've been Ross McLeod. I'd like to thank David Hockney for joining me here. Thank you, man. Don't forget, if you like the show, you can follow us uh, on our Spotify page or you can get us on iTunes, Anchor or all good Android podcasting sites. Eat, sleep, suplex, retreat. You'll find a massive list of previews, reviews, interviews and everything in between on there. Uh, our other shows such as Alba Grant covering the Scottish wrestling scene if the Scottish wrestling scene ever comes back we might start doing some more uh, they've kind of been hampered by the pandemic um, East Meets West as I mentioned they're covering all things New Japan uh, what other shows do we do we do so many I mean most of them are on YouTube now for Christ's sake <laughs> we've got <laughs> and speaking of YouTube uh, if you want to follow us there or on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter at Suplex Retweet, you can find things such as Conspiracy Theory and Quiz Showdown on YouTube and, of course, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook. If you want to get involved in a friendly chat about wrestling where there's no arseholes because we kick them out pretty rapidly, <laughs> <laughs> then this is the place for you. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. See you now. I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Saturday Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms.